Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. This reading is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Jesus predicts his death a third time. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. The request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for this extraordinary scripture and we ask for your revelation to us this morning. Speak to each of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Change us, make us more like you, Jesus, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. So what a day yesterday was. We have a fully crowned new king. And what struck me most powerfully yesterday, in amongst all of the pomp and ceremony, all of the regalia and ritual, was the concentration on, on the king being a servant of the people. And it was most graphically depicted in this moment here. The king stripped of any and all adornments, just a man. He's there to offer himself in service just as all of us are, the theme of this whole week, Coronation Weekend, is the big help out. We're called to serve. That's certainly right at the heart of what we do here at St. George the Martyr. But just let this image sit with you for a moment. The most powerful reminder of where true power lies, only in the hand of God. And there is our king, humble, kneeling before the altar, prayed over by priests, Immediately after this was when the regalia came out, all of it quite extraordinary, different symbols of authority, which also had the concepts of service and and protection and justice written into them. The message is clear that true leadership is about service, is about humility. But we get this wrong time and time again. Just open the Bible and you'll see mistaken ideas 
about and downright abuses of power adorning every page pretty much. Take today's reading for example. You know I normally have so much time for the disciples. I just think they're great. I normally have them in my mind as great leaders of the faith, especially selected by Jesus to learn from him and to love one another. Spiritual special forces being trained up for leadership to change the world. But with this scripture, I have to admit, I lose my patience. On one level, yes, of course, their request is lovely because it's a request for intimacy with Jesus, to be close to Jesus, the closest friendship imaginable for the rest of time, for all eternity. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left. But of course, the full sentence is more troubling. Let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. Could it seriously be that they want to be with Jesus because he is in his glory? Is it me or does that read like they've just finished binge-watching Game of Thrones and they want to beat the rest of the disciple entourage to top slot? Any way you look at it, it's quite hard to read this as anything other than a power grab, a desire to be hanging out with the top dog. After three years with Jesus, yes, they genuinely want to be with him forever, but there is also, still amazingly, there's more than a little ego at play here. They are seeking elevation. And Jesus very lovingly but very definitely puts them straight. He reminds them of all that he has taught them, And embodied in his time with them, he speaks yet again about how the true path to greatness does not travel in the direction you expect. Verse 43, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what is the Bible teaching us? The Bible is teaching us, Jesus is teaching us, to win the race, you have to lose it. To be the greatest, you have to become nothing. And a very real part of me says to that, what? Are you completely mad? That's true? That to, that to, to win, you have to lose? To be great, you don't go up but down. To You descend into greatness. This is crazy. This seems so odd. This seems such a strange contradiction to us. Almost as strange the contradiction that I saw on my last trip to America. I went through a drive through and went to an ATM, automatic teller machine at the bank, and it had Braille on it. What's that all about? Braille as you drive through. Anyway, that to me was the ultimate contradiction I've ever seen. But this seems, this seems such a contradiction, and as such, it's so confusing. Because what Jesus details here is an approach to life that does not fit with everything that I have been taught growing up. We've got used to the word up being the word for winners, for heroes, for role models, for superstars. We use phrases like upbeat, up and coming, upper class, up and atom. Meanwhile, the word down, well, that's a word for losers, cowards, and the poor. Down and out, downscale, downhearted, downbeat. And don't forget the phrase down under, that's reserved for the dead and Australians. 
down doesn't tend to be a good thing. No one became famous by heading downwards instead of up, apart from top skiers, I suppose. But Jesus says, he, and he lives this out, his sermon is clear, his message is clear, his, his, what he's telling us is clear, we have to descend if we want to be great. And that's so hard for us, it goes against the grain. As one writer puts it, just as the compass needle points north, the human needle points up. In each heart is a built-in mechanism that craves self-promotion and advancement, the climb of ego. We've learned from the earliest age, you rise up against gravity, against the odds, you ascend into the spotlight, into money and power. Everything seems to be about getting better, climbing higher, glory to glory, and then God whispers, what if it's not as simple as that? All around we see this passion to get stuff purely to feed our self-indulgence, and God whispers, what if that self-indulgence ultimately leads to self-destruction? He doesn't say this because he has a problem with his children enjoying themselves. What concerns God is our craving for success on the world's terms, in the world's terms. The promotion of me, advancing my own cause, pushing my own agenda, all about winning even at the expense of others. And into that instinct, God whispers, I made your life. I made all of life. And you need to trust me. Life, the life that I've created, it doesn't work like that. The only way to, to live and to succeed and to get ahead is by giving, not getting. You have to develop the discipline of losing. Now, could that be right? Do, could, could that be right? Are we overstating this? Developing a discipline of losing. This is so radical and it seems so hard. How can this be possible? There's only one way, and it is to follow Jesus. We see from the whole Bible, and especially from this interchange with James and John, that Jesus came to challenge the entire value system of the world. And he did it amazingly by example. He didn't just talk about it. Jesus is the Son of God. He enjoyed perfect communion with the Father, the Holy Spirit. He gave all of that up when he chose to come to earth as human. And not only did he come as a man, but he came as a servant to other men, all people all of humanity. When Jesus says to James and John, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, he knows what he's talking about. He is not leading by words alone. This is the path that he's walking. Let's look at another scripture together. Philippians 2, reading from verse 1. This is uh, St. Paul's great hymn of praise to the servant heart of Jesus. Verse 3, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or, th- uh, let me go on just one more, do nothing out of, there we are, selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, here we go, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father did not force Jesus to do this. Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself, verse 8. Jesus chose to descend. It wasn't forced on him. Jesus chose to descend and ultimately die for you and for me. And so what's the challenge to us? What is Jesus saying to James and John? We can all choose the descent into being a servant to others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's an extraordinarily hard calling. Jesus tells James and John that they should serve other people. They should be enslaved to the love that will cause them to, as St. Paul puts it, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. I struggle with that. Wow, do I struggle with that. That is not the natural posture of my heart. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know what you're thinking. No disappointment here. We never imagined for a second anything different. I was struggling with this whilst preparing this week. What does this mean? How do I even understand that, let alone get close to living that out? Living my life, expending myself unquestioningly, living for the good of others no matter what the cost. And even as I was struggling uh, last night, I had a moment, and uh, my moment was, I was struggling for this analogy for living and dying for the sake of others, and even as I was struggling, I realized I was listening to the answer. I like to listen to movie soundtracks when I write my sermons, because I think I'm on a movie set. Dun, 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 dun. I love to listen to them because I can't handle anything with lyrics. I start listening to the lyrics, and I also love to feel the drama of the scriptures as you're reading them. And movie tracks do drama like nothing else. So there's me, headphones on, writing and listening to Lorne Balfe's soundtrack to the great movie 13 Hours, if you've ever seen that, the story of the soldiers at the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya. And even as I was listening and writing, it hit me that this is the best image of what the Scripture is saying. Laying down your life as a servant to all, that's exactly what the military do for us. All of those servicemen and women that we watched yesterday, all of them so precise, simply doing what they are told, be it on the parade square or on the battlefield, they don't have all the information. They don't get to evaluate all the ins and the outs of the orders. They don't get to decide if this mission is a worthy pursuit or what the geopolitical ramifications might be. They are just there doing the job, serving people they will never ever meet, all in the name of peace. There they are, laying down their lives for strangers and for one another. And what is it we say to the military? Thank you for your service. They are servicemen. They are service women. It's the same with our first responders. Who of us can forget 9-11? We, we all know exactly where we were. And one of the most enduring images of that infamous day is the firefighters running in when everyone, quite rightly, everyone else was running out. Do you know 343 firefighters died that day? 
a life of service. It's the antithesis of me climbing over everyone else to get to what I want. And it's not only military personnel and first responders who get to live this out. Each and every one of us can. We can do it every day. Each and every one of us has the choice every day to, to not live purely for myself. We can either live at one end of the spectrum purely for ourselves, just ignoring every other need around us. Or we can live purely for other people as Jesus commands. Truth is, we're going to live somewhere in between the two, aren't we? It's a huge choice for us. Which way do we want that needle to go in our lives? Waking up every single day, am I going to look out for others today or purely for myself? It's powerful if we choose to do it. We can bring huge encouragement and therefore huge change to the people around us. Just you and me as individuals can do that. But then when you multiply the individual into what a community can do together, that's unbelievable the difference we can make. Looking after each other, speaking life, speaking truth, speaking beauty into each other's lives, and then the impact of that as it gains momentum elsewhere. Being a source of encouragement. Have you ever tried to speak encouragement to yourself? Looking in the mirror, you're amazing. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But the difference when someone says it to you, wow, that is life-changing. We need one another. We're desperate for the life and the peace and the hope that we can give to one another's lives. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if we were truly known as that as a church? I think we're getting there, but we've got a long way to go. I think we're good at it, but wouldn't it be good to be great at it? We're called to prefer one another, never shove one another out the way or climb higher, just as James and John seem so keen to do. You know, I come back to this time and time again. How did Jesus say that the world would know about him? From the amazing programs in the church? No. From uh, the wonderful bring and share lunches and everyone? No. Well, kind of. We're getting on to it. But from the preaching and the teaching? No. From the miracles they, prefer, per, they performed, learned firsthand from the master? No. From the sweet sounds of heavenly music brought by Jack and Cameron? Definitely not. What, what, what does Jesus say? I'm joking. What does Jesus say? John 13, 34. I knew, a new command I give you, command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, two very important words, Verse 35 of John 13, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. All of the other stuff, good, great, important. But by this, the world will know. That's Jesus' command. What a wonderful ambition that is. What a wonderful ambition it is for you and I to have about St. George the Martyr. That we would be a church that is known in this part of London for the extraordinary love to be found here. It's a kind of holy intimacy that we should know in church. I hope you've experienced it here. We're called to prefer and serve one another. Thinking consciously, how can I, how can I set him up for success? How, how can I give him rest and love? What, what do they need help with? 
How can I best pray for them? How can I best serve? That's truly living and loving. And when we get that right, it feels amazing. Who here loves homework? Zero hands. You've got some homework this week. Your homework is to go home and to Google uh, David Brooks TED Talk. David Brooks TED Talk. And if there's more than one, which I can't remember if there is, it's resume or eulogy. Resume or eulogy. Resume is, as you know, the American word for CV, your curriculum vitae. He speaks of how the eulogy virtues, what people say about you at your funeral, are counterintuitive to how you think you want to live your life. And we all tend to live for the resume, the CV virtues, the doing stuff rather than the being stuff. They are the two sides of our nature. He says this, we live in perpetual self-confrontation between the external success and the internal value. And the tricky thing I'd say about these two sides of our nature is they work by different logics. The external logic is an economic logic. Input leads to output, risk leads to reward. The internal side of our nature is a moral logic and often an inverse logic. You have to give to receive. You have to surrender to something outside yourself to gain strength within yourself. You have to conquer the desire to get what you want. In order to fulfill yourself, you have to forget yourself. In order to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. That's what Jesus is saying to James and John. Don't look for elevation. There's another way. So in conclusion as we come to pray and to receive communion, I suppose the question for each of us is, what if Jesus appeared to you this week and said, what can I do for you? What, what can I do for you? Uh, David Brooks, David Brooks on TED. What can I do for you? That's what, would you have the audacity to, to, to be like James and John and to say, yeah, I wanna sit at your side in glory. Thanks, Jesus. What can I do for you, Jesus says to you. I believe the best answer is actually found in the very next verses of that gospel reading. I find it astonishing that two moments in time are recorded for us side by side by Mark in this scripture. Allow me to read from verse 46 of Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. Don't you love that that's in the Bible? Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus has just said the same words to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? 
I want to see. James and John wanted elevation. Bartimaeus wants revelation. Rabbi, I want to see. In other words, could it be that he is saying, and we echo today, Lord, open my eyes to see the world in all of its wonder and all of its brokenness, all the need that I can give my life to serving. Rabbi, I want to see. Lord, open my eyes so I can see myself, so that I can be honest about all the ways that I'm so desperate for the touch of the healer. Rabbi, I want to see. Help me to see into the heart of my brother, into the heart of my sister. Help me to know how I may best encourage them, best love them today. Rabbi, I want to see. And ultimately, I need my eyes open so I can see you, Jesus in all of your compassion, in all of your forgiveness, in all of your grace. With those eyes opening, the first thing that Bartimaeus would have seen was the face of Jesus smiling at him. May our prayer this week not be for the elevation of ourselves, but for the revelation of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. What do you want me to do for you is what we hear this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we come now to pray more and to receive, Lord Jesus, pray for a revelation of, for each of us of you. A revelation of who you are and our place in this world according to your calling on each of us to serve today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.